Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Through your son, Jesus Christ, that our sins have been purified and cleansed, Lord, as fresh as the new fallen snow, Lord, we are redeemed and made whole in you. What a glorious thing. Lord, we sing, we are hungry for you, and we do want more of you, Lord. Uh, sometimes that means emptying ourselves of ourselves, and I know that uh, we have faced our challenges in the past couple weeks and overcome many different things, Lord. Sometimes when we say we want more of you, we need to empty ourselves of ourselves first. And so thank you for training us in that. Thank you for teaching us these things, God. As we open your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to abide in you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. we got a paper Bible. Um, you are welcome to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be there today. And then if you have, if you do have a paper Bible and you want to find John chapter 15 also, uh, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we will spend some time both in 1 John chapter 2 and in the Gospel of John chapter 15. So... Uh, if you're pulling it up on your phone, unless you know how to do a split screen, which I don't, uh, you'll just have to turn to John when we get there. So, um, last week, everybody good? All right, last week we um, finished out chapter one, and the final thoughts of chapter one were John was saying, if we have no sin nature, if we, conf- if we profess that we don't have a sin nature, we're deceiving ourselves. As long as we walk in this flesh, even though we are redeemed and saved, we carry around the old nature with us and the propensities of that old nature. We, uh, the, the old hymn, um, yeah, it just slipped my mind. Um, shoot, what's the name of the old um, Prone to wander, Lord, I need it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Um, that Whatever hymn that is, I can't remember where, where it's from now. That's going to drive me crazy. Just so you know, your pastor will be going nuts while he's teaching. Um, Somebody could Google it. Yeah, but that's the line. We, we, as we carry the sin nature, we're prone to wander and, 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 uh, and wander away from uh, the things that of God. So if we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He says in verse 9 of chapter 1, if we confess our sins, the, 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 the things that would break fellowship with God, that He is faithful and just to, conf- uh, uh, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he says in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. So if we're so bold to say, no, we're not sinners in need of a Savior, we're making God a liar because God says, Romans chapter 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And one of the tendencies or one of the things, I don't think we would intentionally do this, but we can slip into the idea that of taking advantage of the grace that is given to us and think, well, since we carry around this sin nature, and all we have to do is confess and we're forgiven, 
then we may as well live it up and confess later. But we shouldn't take advantage of grace in that way. And we come to the second reason John writes this epistle as we get to chapter 2. He tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, and I love the title. Remember, he's 90 years old, twice than the lifespan of that age. He calls us little children, and it doesn't matter who he's talking to, because at 90, everybody's a little kid, right? <laughs> My little children, and it's a term of infection. My little children, these things I write to you, bless you, so that you may not sin. The second reason John wants to write this letter to us as he's ready to depart the earth is to encourage us to live a holy lifestyle, that we don't dance with uh, the, the line of sin, that we don't see how close we can come to that line, but rather we would strive to point our lives toward Christ, giving him everything, leveraging all we have for holiness. Paul would say it this way. You're familiar with this exchange in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And I love, I think it's the new, new NIV. It says, by no means, by no means, what shall we do? Shall we continue to sin so that grace keeps coming? Absolutely not. Certainly not, it says in the New King James. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Later on in the chapter of Romans chapter 6, Paul says this. For the death that he died, Jesus, he died to sin once for all, so that the life he lives, he lives in God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. We, as followers of Christ, as we walk this life, should not take advantage of grace, but rather strive to live a holy life. That we would do everything we can to live a holy life. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And then he says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate, that's an important word, with the Father, his name, our advocate, is Jesus Christ, the righteous. I love that. That sounds like it should go on a, uh, a sword, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and put on the mantle, you know. That's uh, uh, something uh, you would mount on your shield for your armor, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and not he would mount on his armor. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we should err, though we are striving to live a holy life, if we should make mistakes, the grace is there. We have grace. It does abound. And the grace comes in that we have an advocate. That's a legal term. It's Think of yourself in the court of God, standing before the judge, God the Father. We have an advocate. That's That would be our defense attorney, a legal defense attorney, someone who comes alongside us. It's very similar to the word that we um, are, are given for the, help, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the, the paraclete. It's very similar to that term in that Jesus comes alongside of us. He is our advocate. Think of the court scene. There stands the accuser of the brethren as you stand before God the Father as judge. The accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, would rail against you. Remember the story of Martin Luther last week where Satan visited him and you're, you're guilty of this and you're a sinner and you're a liar and you do. And Martin Luther's writing all these things down and at the bottom he writes, yes, but washed by the blood of the Lamb. It's the same idea. We stand before the judge and the accuser comes and 
Chris is a liar and he cheated and he did these things and, 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 and then your defense attorney steps in and he walks up to the, you know, to the stand and he says to the judge, hey, uh, hey dad, <laughs> um, this one's mine. I paid for this one with my blood. And the father says, case dismissed, slams down the gavel, and you are free. That's the advocate that you and I have, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The one who lived without sin. The one who paid the proper price, and we'll get into that in just a moment. The one who comes alongside. Christians are not condemned by our sin. We can be convicted by the Holy Spirit, but we are not condemned. Verse 2 says, And He Himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, I was going to bring a $100 bill, but I don't have one. Um, I have a $5 bill, I think. Um, if anybody has used the term propitiation and can prove it in the last year, I'll give you five bucks, <laughs> right? That's not something we, we throw up in our vocabulary very often at all. I was posting on social media and I was talking about the propitiation of our sin. But it is a very important term that we should understand. He is the propitiation of our sin. What does that exactly mean? It means that Jesus Christ satisfies God's wrath on our part. One of my favorite studies in systematic theology is the study of God's character and the attributes of God's character. And one of the things that we need to remember of God the Father is that He is just. And so when we break His law and ask for forgiveness of His law, or of, of our sin, there, He doesn't just sweep it under the rug or just, just simply dismiss it. He can't do that. That wouldn't be just. A price has to be paid for our sin. And so Jesus becomes the satisfaction of God's wrath on our behalf. The price that our sin has earned, the portion of God's wrath that we have earned because of our sin, Jesus absorbed on the cross for you and I. That's propitiation. He he, he shoulders our portion of wrath. Make sense? Everybody track it. Okay. So if that's the case then, an understanding the price that Jesus paid on our behalf should put in us a desire to no longer sin, to live a holy life. It should be that our response, one of worship, would be to say, God, I don't want to see how close I can dance to the line of sin. But because of your propitiation, because of the price that you paid on my behalf, I want to see how close I can come to you. I want to run towards you. It's interesting what it says there in verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That tells you something about the righteousness of Christ and how deep his love is for us and how how strong his sacrifice was. It forgives all the sins of the world. The price Jesus paid was sufficient to forgive all of humanity's sin. When, we, when people stand before God the Father, 
and it's determined whether or not they will be permitted into the kingdom of God, purchased by the blood of Christ. There's only one sin that will condemn them, and that's not receiving, not accepting, having accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that they have not received the blood of the Lamb. The price Jesus paid was sufficient to forgive all of humanity's sin. So then the question becomes, do you accept the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross and accept him as your Savior and your Lord? And it is in the accepting of that gift that we can then say Jesus becomes our propitiation. Make sense? No? Okay. Keep working. Okay. One of you is with me. That's more than normal, so that's good. Verse 3. I'm kidding. Verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. How do you know if you know him? I remember Chris Corbin, a friend of mine, uh, went to call. He, was a, he, he did a speech in our wedding with Billy Bob T. It was hilarious. But Michelle and I are part of a college age group, and he was our mentor. The very first time I ever met Chris Corbin, he was unloading the back of a semi truck full of wood, and we came to help. And I walked up to him, and my buddy Chris introduced me. It was three Chris's standing there together. And my buddy Chris Davis introduced me to Chris Corbin. I shook his hand. He goes, You saved? That's the very first thing he said to me. He's like, Yeah. How do you know? Um, well, I, uh, 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 you know, hey, this is how we know. We, we know that we know him by the, by the fact that if we keep his commandments, if we and the and the, the tense there of keep is constantly keeping his commandments. If we're striving to live that holy life, if we're trying to do what God has commanded us to do, that's how we know if we know him. Is because we want to please Him. We have a desire to. The sin nature doesn't desire to please God. The worldly man doesn't desire to strive to please God. Well, if we desire to keep His commandments, that's how we know we know Him. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Our lives should show that we have repented, that we have confessed, that we are striving to live that holy life. What's one of the commandments Jesus gave us? Right? How about the new one? A new commandment I give to you that you would love one another. Are we striving to do that as a faith family? Do we lay down our lives for one another? Do we leverage what we have so that people would know that they're loved by us? That's how we can say that we know him. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commands, verse 4, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. God hates hypocrisy. Our words and our actions need to line up. The things that we say, if we say that we know him, then our lives better show it as well. Then, then our, our, the fruit of our life should show that we do know him. We need to be obedient to his commandments. I was thinking about this. There's three reasons, or three, yeah, three reasons we would be obedient to a command. You either have to, or you need to, or you want to. When life, when life gives you, when you come to a command that you've been given in your life, your response is because of one of three things. You either have to, you need to, or you want to. Think of it as little kids. When they're real, real, real little, they have to obey mom and dad to avoid a spank. 
right? So they have to in order to not have those consequences. As they get a little older and mom and dad lay down commands, then perhaps they can respond because they need to because mom and dad are paying them an allowance. Mom and dad want me to clean the bathroom, and if I do clean the bathroom, I'll get a dollar. And so I need that dollar because I need my bubble gum, and so I will respond to being obedient to the command because I need it. Moving from have to to need it. And then hopefully as they grow older and older, as mom and dad lay down a command, it's because they want to. It's because they recognize that they love their parents. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> and want to. And the same is true in our Christian life as well. We, we want to respond to the love of Christ. Just the way. Thanks, Mom. Love you too. <laughs> Whoever keeps his word, truly love, uh, truly the love of God is perfected. That word it means to mature. Truly the love of God is mature in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now I want you to underline the word abide there because John is going to get on a theme here and I want to talk about what it is to abide in Christ. Again, verse 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. As Jesus is in the light, so we too should be in the light. We, talked, we covered that last week. So at this point, we're going to turn to John chapter 15. Jesus heading toward the cross. The final, uh, the last supper is over. They've gotten up from the table and now are headed into Jerusalem, crossing um, the brook Kidron, which was probably running deep with blood because of the sacrifice of the Passover lambs. They step over the Brook Kidron and they head into Jerusalem. And on the walls of the temple, at the top of the walls, there were these vines uh, etched into the stone, uh, great, great clusters and vines. And um, as they're working their way through the temple, Jesus walking with his disciples, he saw that the the artwork of the vines and the grape clusters, and I think that's where this conversation comes from. Jesus has this masterful skill of observing and teaching from his observations, using what God provided for him to teach from. So in John chapter 15, as he, they're standing there in the temple, he says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I'm the true vine, and the Father, the, the, the I am statements of Jesus in, in the Gospel of John are fascinating study. But here he says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Again, that's not a term we use every day, a vine dresser, but that's somebody who would tend to the vine, one who cares for the vine. He says in verse 2, Each branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now that sounds harsh on the initial, he's, he's cutting away branches that aren't bearing fruit. Well, what if my life, what if I'm not fully walking with Christ and my life isn't bearing fruit? He's going to cut me off? Is that what that means? Not exactly. First of all, let's make sure we understand. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. First of all, a branch is what comes from the vine. So imagine a grape arbor. Imagine you know, or raspberry keen or whatever, 
it's it, the you have the the main portion of the vine, and from that the branches come off, and that's where the clusters of grapes grow. We are the branches in this. If a vine or if a, a branch rather is not bearing fruit, he takes it away, is what it says there in verse two. But what's interesting is that word in the original language to take away is the word arrow. It's a i r o. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but it means or can mean to take away, but it also means to lift up. And so it's not that he cuts us off from the vine when we're not bearing fruit, but rather he lifts us, he removes us from our present environment, and he lifts the branch, carries it out, he takes to lift it up toward the sun, where it would bear fruit, right? It's the sun that... So if you've got a branch that's down in the mud, it's not going to bear fruit. So the vine dresser takes that branch, he doesn't cut it off, he lifts it up and, and points it toward the sun again so that it can bear fruit. He says there in verse 2 that he prunes. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. What is pruning? It's removing the shoots from the branch that weren't going to bear fruit. And it's for the health of the branch that you prune. Right? We, you don't want energy going to those things that aren't going to bear fruit anyway. And so a good vine dresser would cut away those things that aren't going to bear fruit so that it doesn't sap energy. That's what the vine dresser of. The word prune can also mean cleanse. As he lifts us up, he cleanses us off of, uh, cleanses the mud off of us. He cleans us off. Everybody with me so far? The glory of the branch is the fruit that it bears. I know I'm, throwing, I'm trying to not to like overwhelm you with all these different things, but think of it this way: you don't look at an apple tree and go, "Man, those are sweet branches." I mean, maybe you were when you were eight and a boy, you know, ready to climb a tree. But generally, you look at that apple tree and look at the fruit that it bears. Wow, look at the apples on there. That's amazing. The glory of the branch is the fruit that it's bear. it bears. The glory of us, we are the branches, is the fruit that we bear for him, being connected to the vine. You are already clean, John 15, 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We don't have the cleansing agent in and of ourselves. It's the Word that cleanses us, the Word of God, Jesus being the Word. He is the one who cleanses us. We, don't, we can't make ourselves clean enough to stand in the presence of God. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul would say, Husbands, wash your wives with the Word, because that's what Christ does for us. So we, we don't have the cleansing agent in of ourselves, but he says you're already clean because the Word which I've spoken to you. And here is the theme again in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. We need to abide in him. What does that mean? It means to be in him. It means to surround yourself with God. It means to immerse yourself in God. 
be full of God, to soak Him up, to breathe it, to eat it, to live Him, to don't leave Him, to don't come and go. It's not a, uh, I feel like it today, but not tomorrow kind of thing. Our abode is where we abide. And we're to abide in Him. It's putting on a jacket and never taking it off. It's being immersed in Him. That's the sanctification process. We live in Him. And it's just a matter of living in Him. It's not striving. The, the grape doesn't strive to be a grape. As it grows on the branch, it's not going, I'm trying to be a grape! Right? Joe Foch does that amazingly well. It's hilarious when he does it. He says, I'm not, he doesn't strive to be a great. He just is a great. Because he's abiding in the branch, which is connected to the vine. Same is true of you, Christian. You abide in him, surround yourself with him, soak in him, pour yourself in, allow him to pour himself into you. You bear fruit. You bear fruit with your life. It's called the sanctification process. It's growing in him. Just logically, a branch cannot live unless it's connected to the vine, right? Same is true in Christ. A branch cannot live unless it's connected to the vine. We cannot live unless we are connected to our source as well. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And I love this phrase, John 15, 5. For without me, you can do nothing. <laughs> John, or Jesus is speaking to his disciples. There's no parables here. There's no hidden message here. There's nothing mysterious about his, what he's saying. It's plain and it's simple. He is the vine or the source. We are the branches or where the fruit is produced. And hear this. Without him, you can do some things, a little. Without him, you can do nothing. Let that soak in, Christian. Christ defines the Christian life and all that is accomplished in him, all the fruit that we bear outside of Christ is of no value. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. Outside of Christ, we shrivel, we die, we don't produce fruit. The only value we have is for fuel to be burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Live in him, soak it in, strive to live a holy life, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The vine dresser tends the vine so that it can source the branches. He cares for us as branches. He lifts us up. He cleans us off that we would be in the right position to bear fruit. So then the question is, are you connected to the vine? Romans chapter 11, we as Gentiles are grafted in. We become like who we hang out with. Right? 
I don't want my boy running around with that crowd. Why? Because you become like who you hang out with. So abide in Jesus. You'll become more like him. All right, back to chapter 2 of 1 John. A couple more verses. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. He says, and this is confusing a little bit, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard, which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you. <laughs> Because the thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I think John just wanted to be like Paul at this moment and said, I'm going to write something confusing. No new commandment I write to you, but a new commandment I write to you. <laughs> well, which is it? Is it no new commandment or is it a new commandment? Well, here's the idea. It's not new in that we have had the word of God all along. He is eternal. And certainly they knew from the Old Testament the Messiah to come. It's not new in that we have the Word of God, have had, have had the Word of God all along. It is new in that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law, and He is renewing us day by day. The more we walk with Him, the more darkness leaves and the true light shines in us. Now he gets personal in verse 9. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Well, how can I show that I have love? How can I bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Well, how about you start by loving your brother? And he who says he's in the light, he who says he has fellowship with God and hates his brother, no, you're not in the light. You're walking in darkness. Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You know the response. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. It's not like one and two. It's like one A and one B. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, the same blood that they need, you need too. <laughs> oh, I wish they would just do this. This gets under my skin. This grates on my nerves when they do this. And... You know, the same blood that they need to forgive their sin, you need to. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The word stumbling there is scandalon, and the scandalon is the place in the trap where the bait is set. So read it thinking that. The place in the trap where the bait is set. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for bait-setting, stumbling in him. You're not trying to trap anybody. You're trying to live pure. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Hatred will blind you. So he's warning us of that. I write to you, little children... Uh, we'll get, I'm sorry, we'll stop there for today. We'll get into verse 12 next week. We've got communion to get to. Bring it all back together. John is writing, verse 1, that we might live a holy life. 
that we might be devoted unto him. The word holy literally means set apart. And we're no longer in the world. We're not conformed to the pattern of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. John writes that we might live a holy life. How do we do that? By abiding in him. The more time we spend with him, the more we soak him in, the more we allow him to pour into our lives, the more we're going to look like him hanging out in the light. We do that. We bear fruit for Christ in keeping with repentance. That we let our light shine so that people may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We walk in the light by loving God and loving others. I don't know about at your house this week, but it's been a little challenging at our house this week with some not-so-brotherly love going on some um, sibling issues and some issues between parents too to be honest with you we need to remember that our spouse is a brother or sister in Christ that our children when they've given their lives to Christ are brothers and sisters in Christ above even being our spouse for our children. More importantly, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're called to love them. So as we come to the table, maybe you've got something against your brother or sister today that you need to let go of. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And while we're not offering gifts in this moment, we are coming to the table. And I think the same application would apply. I hope it's our heart's desire that we want to walk in the light. And the way that we walk in the light is by loving God and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if there is something that stands between you and receiving communion in a genuine way. Know that God's grace is there. And the blood of His Son is our advocate. And that we can be forgiven. And forgive others as well. And so that brings us to the communion table. Uh, an opportunity to partake together of the body broken on our behalf and the bloodshed on our behalf. Um, I'm going to pass out the elements. Normally Michelle would play, but she's teaching today. So um, just hum a little bit in your head, I guess. <laughs> but maybe just take a moment to prepare your heart and to pray and to say, Lord, I need to forgive my brother who's sinned against me, and I need to be forgiven because I've sinned against my brother or sister, or I've sinned against you, and I thank you that you are my advocate. And imagine yourself in that courtroom setting and Jesus, the righteous, coming alongside of us and saying, no, Dad, this one's mine. And then may we enter into communion in true joy. Amen? All right, I'll pass out the elements. Everybody hold on to that. Uh, and then I'll direct us to take them together.
Father, I thank you that we can study your word together in this place. And that where we have gathered in your name, you that you, Jesus, are here in our midst, that we have the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. I thank you for your love for us. That we have Jesus the righteous as our advocate. We've been found in you to be forgiven and redeemed. To be made whole as Jesus you became our propitiation. And Lord, I pray that we would respond to that love for us with a desire to live a holy life separated unto you. That we would abide in you, God. That we would rest in you. And that you would pour yourself out in our lives. That we might bear fruit to bring glory to your name. We thank you for the invitation to come just as we are to the table. And to remember the sacrifice that you've made on our behalf. Jesus, on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it. And you looked at your disciples whom you loved and you said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. So we do now in Jesus' name. And in the same way, Jesus, after the meal, you took the cup of fellowship and you raised it and you said, this is a new covenant, my blood, given for the remission of sin. Jesus, this is you becoming our propitiation, the sacrifice that you made on the cross, your blood being poured out, that we might be forgiven. You commanded them and command us to drink in remembrance of you, and so we do now in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, church. Lord, as we leave this place, it's our heart's desire to magnify you in our homes, amongst our family, between our brothers and sisters, in our workplaces, in school, we want to glorify and magnify you. We close by singing, I love you, Lord, and I pray that we would do more than just sing it. I pray that with our lives, we would live it out. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.